0: Because, well, I don't have a reason. I just like to do it. Um, how many of you had turkey? Anybody not have turkey? I did not have turkey. Stand strong. Don't let society push you into a, a pigeonhole or something. Whatever, well, make up a saying that goes there. Um, how about uh, pumpkin pie? Who had pumpkin pie? Anybody not have pumpkin pie? Pecan pie, pecan pie. Pecan pie is is a lot more popular down in the south, I think, than it is up here. I don't know if that's just my assumption or whatever. But um, how many of you ate too much? Be honest, just own it, just own it. Um, I, I love Thanksgiving. I love this stuff about it. I was thinking about this at one particular time. I'm sitting around the table and. And we had no, I, we're we're, I don't eat turkey. Our family's not turkey eaters. All the three people that are walking in right now, for some reason, that are my family, are not turkey eaters. But, um, so we don't usually have that kind of thing. But, uh, Isaac had his girlfriend over for Thanksgiving with this. Her family lives in Ohio. So we thought, well, we'll have like a traditional kind of thing. And, uh, so we had ham. And I was sitting there around the table thinking about this and enjoying. I love, I love those kind of things. Family, you're just sitting around eating and, and enjoying uh, life and all that kind of stuff. And and I thought to myself, this is, I, I, I'm hoping that everybody here had a a, a good meal and a good Thanksgiving um, time with the family. And f- and for all of you vegetarian and vegans, I hope you had a lot of good fellowship. Um, <laughs> that was funny, huh? I'm sorry, that wasn't very nice. Vegetarians and vegans are people too. So we want to make sure that... I know. I get that also. I know. All right. So, um, but I, I just enjoy those. I enjoy those kind of things. I enjoy those times. There just there's something about just family being together, or good friends being together, or connecting. That there's just something about that. It's a. It's an un There's something going on. There's an unspeakable thing. It's a. It's a aura, or I don't know. I don't want to make it all sound weird, but you understand. There's a connection. There's a spiritual connection goes along with that. So, I don't know. I just was enjoying it. Oh, I did want to have another. Who, who had cranberry for Thanksgiving? Okay, here's the question. Here's the question. How many of you like cranberry out of the can, still in the shape of the can? <laughs> I didn't know that that was slumming it all my life. I didn't know that that was not the real deal. I thought, this is the way it's supposed to be. It's got to have the little ridges and you slice. <laughs> Okay, we've been showing some videos over the last few uh, months about things we want to get you connected. Two, two basic ways we want to get you connected relationally. Um, now, this is bigger than just Church of Bargate. This is the kingdom of God's body of Christ. As a, as a Christian, you need relationships. You need to build Christian relationships. Um, and so we want to try to facilitate that here at Church of Bargate to some extent. So that's one way is just relational connection. And then the other is we want you to do something. We want you to get involved in doing the kingdom of God, and one of the, the, the windows, one of the opportunities that you can do that in is at Church of Briargate, and so since there's, I've had a lot of questions about this over the last few weeks since the shooting of the church in Texas, we, um, we yes, we do have a safety team, we do have a security team, and some people have asked, well, can, can I be a part of that or whatever, and you can, and so we want to um, give a little advertisement for that, I encourage you to get connected, and the face of that is um, our safety team leader, Patrick David. Hi, I'm Patrick David, head of the safety team here at Church of Day. Our goal is to provide a safe and friendly environment for all to worship and seek God. If you can pass a background check, can attend quarterly trainings, and are responsive with your email and phone calls, we could use you on the team. What this entails is spending one Sunday a month at least, being out in the foyer, being out in the sanctuary, and just keeping a watch over God's flock. If you're interested in this, please contact me if you see me at church, or contact the church and they can give you my contact information. Thank you. I think I've mentioned this before, but I, I do believe that that also includes um, that you get to wear one of those little earpieces, which is a big draw. How many of you would want to admit that's, you're like, I think I'm in because of that right there. Um, you can also talk into your wrist like this um, if you want. You'll be faking that. that. There's nothing about that that's true for us, but we won't judge you if you do that also. So, um, I've been talking about heroes Started last week, looked at superheroes. I kind of went over the history of superheroes and some of the stuff with that. And um, I've been mentioning the fact that uh, Aquaman has always been my favorite superhero. He is by far the coolest of all superheroes. I do get some pushback against haters, but I do believe that Aquaman is a go. Now, I saw, I actually saw Justice League this week. I saw the movie, and I got one word to say about Aquaman. Aquaman is awesome. That's what I got to say about Aquaman, and he is by far the coolest of all of the people there, even cooler than Superman. Superman can't breathe underwater. I know Superman's not there. I'm not blind. But, so, here's something else. Let's, let's go down the superhero thing, because I, I went over last week and went over the history of superheroes, where that came from, first kind of times we, even the first time we used the word superhero and some of that kind of stuff. There's an, a, there's an amazing draw from us. There's an emotional, mental connection that has to do with superheroes and why, and, I, and so I explained a, a lot of that stuff last week. I want to mention the fact that something else about the superhero mentality that's so enticing to us is the fact that it's super. The superhero, when you add the super to it, that it's different, that it sets it in in a separate kind of category, that these are not normal human beings. They, they don't, they're not like you and I. They're something else. They get, they, they are from a different planet. Um, they're from Amazon women place. Um, they, are, they are, if we want to switch from uh, back and forth between DC and Marvel, they, have, they get bit by a spider. Uh, they, they have uh, a power source embedded in the middle of their chest cavity. There's a lot of uh, things that make them not normal, except Batman and he's just really rich and but there 's there's a debate whether he should be actually a superhero because of that whole thing he 's just a rich guy that kind of organized but that 's just my personal issues um, but the the idea that these are superheroes we like that we're drawn to that because they're they 're bigger than us there 's an expectation. That they're going to do supernatural things. In fact, I mentioned last week that one of the, one of the things that happened in the, in the 60s into the 70s was we saw the superheroes in the, in the comic books and, and, uh, and, um, and even uh, some of the, the different animation of that. The superheroes had a, a dark side or an evil side. But they just really did good things when, when the time came, they did the right thing at the right time. And, and I struggle with that. I don't like that. There's a whole, there's whole other storylines within the superhero mentalities of, of the, there's an evil God, there's an evilness within them. I don't like that. I, I want my superheroes to be superheroes. I want them to be perfect in everything. If you're going to have superheroes, why not, Right? I I I deal with plenty of the evil lurking within within myself and within all of humanity. I don't need that from Superman. I want I, I it, it struggles. I struggle with the idea that you know Superman doesn't pay his taxes or something like that. That that he needs to be the good guy across the board. And there's a there's a magnetism to that that draws us toward that because it's a bigger than us mentality. And 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 understandably, and I think you can kind of get this, but even going back. The, the Christ mentality, the Christ theme is written into the superhero story on all levels. Um, but then there's this idea of just heroes. It's not superheroes, it's heroes. And this is the part that, that I think is pretty amazing is that that we see heroes uh, around us on a regular basis. Uh, we really do. Not to, <clears throat> not to overdo this or, or, or try to make something of this, but I, I believe that there are heroes right here in this room that there are a lot of us are doing hero stuff on a regular basis. But, and here's the trick, is that we've got to, we've got to think differently than the way society thinks. The way society defines heroes uh, is different than the way I believe God defines heroes and the way we should define heroes. In fact, this is one of the things when it comes to teenagers. Um, it, when, you're, when you're processing this with teenagers, uh, society pushes a lot of people into the, the arena of, oh, this is a cool person or this is somebody to emulate or whatever, and they become hero status. And, and as parents, part of the responsibility as parents is to tell teenagers, no, that person's not what you think they are. That person is not somebody to emulate. Just because they sing a song or play a sport doesn't mean that they're, that they're good material, that they're doing good things, and that this is something that's healthy or beneficial for you to process uh, into your life. There are those people in our world Young and old, there are true heroes in our world, and there are true heroes right here in this church. And and part of the responsibility for us, I believe, is to define that, to really be able to define what what a hero is. And so last week I looked at <clears throat> at one aspect is this this the thankful mentality that God is really in charge and that we are thankful f- for Him that we are seeing that. I want to I want to go a little bit different direction this morning and to look at. Um, To look at the the, uh, another kind of um, what I believe is actually very important. In fact, I believe this is one of the more important things in our Christian walk um, is the idea of consistency. And so, going to uh, Daniel chapter uh, one, we're going to look at the three Hebrew children Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and uh, and Daniel also, but not Daniel just at the beginning. But we're going to look at these three guys and and to really recognize some things. I think. Maybe you haven't seen before a process. And I want to help you kind of think think about some of this kind of thing in Daniel chapter one verse eighteen. Now this is Dan, uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and a bunch of other people. Had they had the they had been captured and been taken into slavery, and they and the th- this was pretty common in a lot of different kingdoms. And Nebuchadnezzar did the same thing in his kingdom, where he would take the younger, like um, older boys, junior high into high school age, and they would train them. Um, um, uh, to develop them into the system of their community and their kingdom, and then train them at the same time and see which ones rose to different levels of, uh, of uh, wisdom and maturity and things like that. And then they would use them in different p- p- places throughout the kingdom, different positions of leadership and stuff like that throughout the kingdom. And they would build an entire uh, leadership base throughout the kingdom. Um, but the, but they but they started out as slaves and potentially they never unless they got to a certain place they really were slaves the whole time but they they did indoctrinate them into the kingdom and, and push them in that direction and so that's where we come into this Shadrach Meshach and Abednego had been had been taken into this this uh, arena and Daniel also so when the training period ordered by the king was completed the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar the king talked with them and no one impressed him as much as Daniel. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, which is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You'll see that later. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters of his entire kingdom. Now, what the training period was is they brought—they were going to be uh, teaching them things at a certain time frame, and it wasn't very long, it was a few months a certain time frame, and they said, okay, we're going, to, we're going to feed you certain things we're going to give you, we're going to make you real healthy by feeding you the, the, the diet that the king eats, and then we're going to teach you some stuff, and then we're going to see at the end of this training period how smart you are and all this kind of stuff. And this is where they said, well, we're not going to eat the food that you want us to eat, we want to, we want to do what God has told us to do, God has given us a dietary uh, plan, and we want to go with that, and we will prove to you that this is a better plan. And so it took him a while to convince the, the, the head guy over the trainees. And uh, and so he finally did. And then we see at the end of this that they even looked physically better. They the, Everything about them was better. Now, I don't believe that that was just because of the diet or just because of that, although I think there was some of that, I think there was more to it than this. I think there was God's hand on this. I think God was anointing them at this particular moment and time so that they not only anointing them with wisdom and, and insight and, and physical health, which I believe the diet did contribute to, and, and I think this is a good time for us to analyze this after this whole uh, week of Thanksgiving. How many of you know your diet can determine how you feel and what you think and uh, whether you sleep during church or not during church, those kind of things. So the, the idea that the diet did this, but then also God's anointing was upon this. Now, I've seen this at different times where God will anoint somebody for a specific uh, moment in time and sometimes for a season or, or something specific in their life that God uses them, uh, anoints them, and makes them um, really good at what they do at different levels. Uh, I've seen this. I've experienced it in some different ways myself. And I've also been jealous of others in that circumstance too. When it looks like, well, God, you seem to be blessing them with that. But this is one of the things that I've come up to and I can say it very confidently this morning, although I'm probably going to struggle with it in the future, is that this is not something that we really should, you know, analyze or or try to figure out why or what God just does that sometimes. He just uses people in certain ways and he anoints people and he and he and he blesses people and gives them open doors in ways that he doesn't do with everybody. That's not a negative thing, that's not a bad thing, because I, I honestly believe that he wants to do that with all of us more than he is doing. But some of this story, we need to process this, because while I do believe that God, God's hand was upon Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he used them supernaturally and they rose through the ranks quickly because of God's blessing and God's anointing on their life, there's also more details to the story. They were very consistent and obedient to God in who they were. Years ago, I was in high school, and a and, um, <clears throat> good friend of mine in high school, there was, there was three of us that, that hung out together uh, fairly well, and we all ended up being pastors. So that's kind of weird. But, um, but we hung out together, went to the same church. I wasn't a Christian um one of the guys his name was Richard is a really good Christian guy and then there was another guy Mark he was kind of in between when he hung out with Richard he was a better Christian than when he hung out with me which I see as a very he was a bad influence on me but um I wasn't trying to serve God and Richard was and uh we were good friends we we hung out together and so w- one of the things that was that was um Richard used to irritate me all the time because we'd be walking through the halls at school and Richard would, would talk to somebody about Jesus. It drove me crazy. I wasn't trying to serve God. I didn't want anything to do with that. And it was it was irritating to me. And quite honestly, it was very convicting. Holy Spirit was convicting me because Richard stood for God. He was constantly, constantly standing for God. I'd go up to his locker and he's standing there talking to a a, a really pretty girl, and I would think, all right. So I'd go up, you know, and I want to I want to see what's going on, and maybe you know, uh, throw some Mac Daddy in there and see what I can do and. And um, and I walk up and 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 Richard's saying something like, "And that's how you accept Jesus? Would you like me to pray with you?" I'm like, "Come on!" I hated that stuff. He was always doing that, always praying for people, always, everywhere he went, talking to people about the Lord, all this kind of stuff, and it drove me crazy. Now, I'm going to jump ahead quite a few years, and this this doesn't connect maybe necessarily in your head the same way because I can't give you you know every moment between these. Years, but years years later, I was a youth pastor, and um, we we our our youth group was doing really good. We were headed to a youth convention, and we were taking tons of kids to this youth convention. We were taking like ninety kids to this youth convention. This was a big deal. I was pretty excited. I was pumped up. Look at how big we are. We had our our, we had this old greyhound bus, and we we were excited about this. And I knew that we were going to be carrying probably the largest. There was going to be thousands of kids at this convention but I knew we were we were going to be having probably, if not the largest group represented at that youth convention, and I was pretty proud of me. I was excited about how awesome I was doing as a youth pastor to get this many kids going to this youth convention, and so in the way uh, uh, I found out right before we left, I found out that um, Richard was also going to be taking his group. He was a youth pastor at the same time in the basic area, and he was going to be taking his youth group, and he was like, are you guys going? He said, yeah, we're going. And he said, man, I'm excited for this. Kids are going to be getting saved. Kids are going to be set free from stuff. We're excited about what well, we've been praying for this, praying for this, and praying for this, and excited. And it didn't even click in my head at the time when he finished all that. And he said, so what about you guys? I said, we're, we're doing good, too. We're going to bring a lot of kids. Two total different things going on there. I wanted to make sure we got a lot of kids there. And Richard, really wanted to make sure a lot of kids were going to get saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, whatever healed, I don't know, all kinds of stuff, and I didn't, it, all of this got, came to me later, okay, so we go up, we've got our, our, our big old bus, and it's packed full of kids, and we got our vans, and we're, we pull up to the youth convention, and I'm excited about this, and as we're walking up, there's all of us are walking across the parking lot, we're walking into this uh, big church, we're going to have this convention at, and, um, and all, all of a sudden, all these Greyhound buses start pulling up, one right after the other. And the, the doors open, shh, you know, that kind of thing. And Richard jumps out, Scott, how you doing? How do you... Hundreds of kids got off these buses. It messed with me. It, I know this sounds petty, and, but I, was, I wanted to have the biggest group at this thing. I was, well, our youth group was growing. We were excited about all this. And, and never one time did Richard mention the fact that he was going to bring. He had over 100 kids that he, he brought to this thing. Irritated me. I'm sure those kids needed Jesus, but it irritated me. And, and, and as we're going in, I'm kind of upset. I'm like, man, everybody else always gets the breaks, which is a stupid. I, my whole thought process was there was a bunch of things wrong with this. And, and God really convicted me and spoke to me at that moment on a bunch of different levels. But this is basically what the Lord said to me. Richard has been following me consistently all of his life. It was like, that's it. And God convicted me that, that sometimes you do, you may not get immediate um, reaping and rewards of things, but when you're building a consistent lifestyle following God, there's stuff that happens because of that. There's things that flow out of that to other people. There's people that, that are going to be affected in a, an amazing way from that in a lot of different layers throughout your life. And that you can't put your your uh, your hand to it. You can't put a some kind of qualifier, quantifier to this. You, 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 and also the attitude and the why and what you're doing stuff for. That that convicted me later as I'm sitting in the services, and I remember Richard talking about, "Oh, I want these kids to be, you know, on fire for God and all this kind of kind of stuff." And the only thing I could think about was how many kids I was going to get there with no anticipation of what God was actually going to do in the middle of that thing. Now, I want us to jump down <clears throat> in Daniel. And the, and the first thing that I want you to think about is this consistently do what is right. That, that, I really believe that that is one of the most important, if, if not the most important thing in our Christian walk, is consistently, being consistent consistently following the Lord day after day after day. There's going to be times when it's exciting. There's going to be times when it's not. There's going to be times when there's rewards, and there's going to be times when there's not. See, interestingly, the, the, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not eat all of the stuff that the king was providing and all this other, they had opportunity that and, and here's something I want you to process. Now I understand the dietary laws in their context were extremely important, but in my context today they're not. I you know I'm after the book of Acts where God says to Peter, Tell everybody they can eat what they want. I mean that's my paraphrase, but that's you know, kill and eat. Just, you know, whatever. He lowers the sheet down and there was there was slabs of bacon hanging out of that thing and he said, just eat what you want so that's the context that I'm under, that you're under today. And the idea of the dietary laws, um, while still extremely beneficial and healthy for us, are, are, we're not spiritually responsible for that. okay? Physically, it's a good idea, but spiritually, we're not responsible to those dietary laws. And so I don't understand the same context. So in my head sometimes, and you may be thinking the same thing, so would the kingdom of God been torn apart if... if um, if Shadrach would have reached over and, and grabbed a piece of cheesecake, would I don't know if that's on the list or not. I don't know. But would, would it, okay, piece of bacon. If he grabbed, reached over and grabbed a piece of bacon, would, would God's kingdom have crumbled right there? Would would Shadrach have spent the rest of eternity in hell because he got this big piece of bacon? I, I I think if you start to process it that way, you're already missing a bigger picture here. The bigger picture, and this is something in, in kind of our Western Christian thinking where we put a lot of emphasis, almost all the emphasis on um, you know, just the way we think and the way we feel about stuff and grace and all this other kind of stuff, we miss the reality that God actually has laws. He has rules and there are things that are sin and not sin. And that when he says don't do this, he's, he's serious about that and it doesn't matter whether you think it's a good idea at the moment or not, when he says don't do this, he means don't do this. Under all circumstances, all the time. And so, one of the things that, that, that we see later, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God is uh, uh, honoring them and giving them wisdom and anointing them for the process of this is because when they had an opportunity to, to you know, be a little bit uh, fudge it a little bit over here, maybe eat some fudge, I don't know, but, but they could have done a lot of things, but they don't, and it's not necessarily because of of the actual food that they're eating but it's because God said don't do it. God said don't do this, do this, do it this way and they obeyed. And God later anoints them. God uses them, gives them wisdom. And I believe very strongly it the story would be very different if let's say it was Daniel Shadrach Meshach and Abednego and Abednego he decides to eat a big old piece of ham during the king's giving of the meals, I believe the story would have said Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach were shown great wisdom to the king. Abednego wouldn't have been in the list. And here's part of the reason that I would argue that. Those four were not the only Hebrew children that were put into this circumstance. Why are they mentioned Why is this whole story about those three? Because they're the, specifically the later part of the story, those three, because those are the three that did this right. It's not just because that, you know, all these Hebrew children are doing all these great things and going by the dietary laws and laws. If more would have been going by the dietary laws, more would have been in this story. They weren't. And so we see where God is singling these guys out, not because He's just going to anoint them. But because they're showing themselves favorable to him, obedient to him, so that he can trust them to be anointed. And that's the part that gets lost on us sometimes. So we say, God, what about that person? What about that person? One of the ways I've seen this played out, I was very impressed by this. There's a church in Chicago area that's called Willow Creek Community Church, and it's pastored by a guy named Bill Hybels. And uh, Bill, I, I had this mentality years ago, this is 15 more than that years ago, I went to one of their pastor conferences there, and, and uh, my board had suggested it and I was like, okay, I guess I could do this, i can going learn something. But in the back of my mind, I had this mentality, this church was the largest church in the United States for a long time, okay, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a couple other churches that are bigger now, but, but they haven't got smaller, the other churches got bigger. But, but I had this thought in the back of my mind, even as I went to the conference, I thought, well, I'm probably going to learn some really good stuff, but I'm probably going to be pretty disappointed because there's no way that church got that big without compromising. Right? Anybody else ever thought something like that? That's the only way you can be a really big church nowadays is you've got to hand out cocaine at the door or something like that. I don't know what they're doing, but they've got to compromise. That's the only way you can be. And so I went with that in the back of my head. I had that thought process going on, and I was horribly wrong. I sat at this conference and watched. They had some Christian authors, teachers, leaders, and they had um, a a secular author that's very well known in the business world, um, and at that particular time, the best known name in the business world when it came to leadership, and he was at the conference, and this guy was not a Christian. And I sat and watched for three days in front of about 70,000 people in the building and about 400,000 people that were being simulcast at the same time. I watched Pastor Hybels sit and witness to this guy constantly. Every time the guy would give some leadership, some Bill Hybels would bring it back around to Jesus. And it wasn't just because of the people. He was doing it because of that guy. At the end of the three days, toward the end of the three days, the guy stops and said, I, I just want to ask a question. He said, Bill, I... I've been here two and a half days now, and I feel like for two and a half days, all you've done is try to proselytize me. That's his word for witnessing. And Bill Hybels said, is that what it feels like? That's all he said. Is that what it feels like? In other words, that's what I've been doing. I was amazingly impressed by Bill Hybels, by Willow Creek. I was amazingly impressed because they consistently consistently I know one of the reasons that that Bill Hybels is such a large church he is a godly man and he's a faithful man consistently consistently faithful he wrote the book walk across the room some of you in one of our classes recently read this where he's talking about the people that he witnesses to he witnesses to his next-door neighbors and all that kind of stuff guys he's doing better than a lot of us do on a regular basis being consistent. This is a big deal. With this, being consistent. Daniel chapter three verse twelve. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. Remember, he put them into positions of authority. Well, then he makes this big statue and he says, "I want everybody to worship this." This was a trick, okay? He makes this big statue and everybody worship him. All these guys are trying to trick um, Nebuchadnezzar into doing something, killing. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We had already seen it with Daniel. I mentioned that a couple months ago where Daniel consistently prayed. They try to get Daniel taken out of leadership. Why? Because people don't like people of moral code being put into high positions of authority. In, in ungodly societies, which, by the way, is what we are in in America right now, anytime somebody has a strong moral code and an affinity for Christ, we, we, will, we will try to sideline them. The media will try to take them out. The government will try to take them out of those positions of authority and responsibility. Again, the example I used last week, this is a big one, Tim Tebow got run out of the NFL because he knelt. Don't ever let somebody tell you it's because of his abilities. The Broncos need a quarterback right now. Why don't we just call him? Just call him. I don't. Oh, so he got, he got pushed out of the NFL because he knelt, and we put somebody else up on a pedestal because they knelt. And the reason is because they're kneeling for two different reasons one is not okay to society, and the other one we're going to put into a position of prominence. And the, and the sad part is, as a society, he's going, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you, when you stand for God under all circumstances, you're going to be pushed away. You're going to be ostracized. There are, there are some other amazing, speaking of the NFL, there are some other amazing Christian men all through the NFL, and you don't hear about them ever. Never. You hear about the guys beating their wives. You hear about the guys kneeling because our country is such a horrible racist country. All these different things. What about these guys that are saying the opposite? I'll give you one. Herschel Walker just came out with a great statement this week. Look it up. Solid statement about this whole kneeling thing. I was very impressed by it, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. So they're trying to trap these guys, get them out of leadership. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the golden statue that you've set up. Why do they not worship the golden statue? Think about this. The same reason they don't worship the golden statue is the same reason they chose broccoli over bacon right? Here's something we get. We're such a personality-driven and importance-famous-driven thinking society in America today. It's a very weird thing. It wasn't like this when I was a kid. It was some, but not like it is nowadays. It's like every time we turn around, I got to know who's brushing their teeth on Facebook. I don't care. I don't care. I tried. A few years ago, everybody was saying, you know, pastors, you need to be a part of Facebook. You got to Instagram, do all this kind of stuff. I did. I, went and I got a Twitter account, Instagram, all this other kind of stuff. And for like 12 minutes, I was on there and I was like, this, I can't do this. I, I don't care how fiber is helping you be regular. I don't care. It's not important to me. I, I need to not know that stuff. But that's how we're driven. We're driven, we're driven. And so then what happens is we have this idea that what we do, we actually do. I know this is kind of a stretch here, but what we do, we actually do for the camera. You following my thinking? That when we live, when we do something right, we do it for the camera. When we, do, when we say something, we do it for the camera. When we're thinking something, we do it for the camera. The, 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 the essence of who we are, the fullness of who we are, is who we are at all times. And something that I'm seeing in generation coming up now is it's really challenging for um, this generation to really know who they are individually. They they see themselves as almost part of this collective. And they're seeing themselves through the eyes of Hollywood and through the eyes of Facebook and and Twitter and all this other kind of stuff. And it's very challenging to see themselves as this is who I am. This is me without all of this other stuff. See, the reason these guys didn't choose to to partake of the king's food is because they already had a relationship with God. They were being obedient to God. Later on, they don't stand up and worship this statue, not because the cameras are on them. Again, thousands, tens of thousands of people, all of the Hebrew children also that were caught in slavery, all of them are there, and three guys don't bow down. Three They're not doing this for the cameras, they're not doing this for anything else. They already found somebody else to serve and it wasn't this golden statue. They were already in relationship with a God and it wasn't a man-made God. That's why when it came to the very challenging time, and that's the way we think about it in in our Christian walk, is when it comes to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we always think about the moment when the band strikes up and the statue is there and they don't bow down, I'm standing strong. But that's because it had been... A lifestyle, day after day after day, month after month, year after year. I'm going to stand for God. I'm going to do what he said. I'm going to serve him. I'm going to seek him. I'm going to pray. I'm going to follow after his rules and his guidelines. I'm going to do what he's told me to do. And then when it came to the statue, it was a natural step. It was just the next step. It wasn't this grand event that they had planned and, and, and decided we're solidarity. The three of us are going to stay standing. I'll give you one that you might not have processed before. When we see it on the, you know, the flannel graphs and stuff like that as kids in the cartoon movies, you see all these people bowing down and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing together there, you know, like we're going to stand. Here's just to get in your mind, just a process. Were they even standing beside each other when this happened? Think about why I'm saying that. This wasn't a, hey, are you going to stand? No, I'm not going to stand. I mean, are you going to kneel? No, I'm going to stand. Are you going to kneel? No, I'm not going to kneel. Let's The three of us, let's do this together. I don't believe that's what happened there. I think there's a good chance they weren't even in the same area. And when the band played and everybody bowed, one guy over here, one guy over here, and one guy over here standing because I'm not going to bow to that idol. I serve God. God's my God. And they, while they were brought in later together to be questioned, there's a good chance that they hadn't discussed this ahead of time. We don't know either way. But what we do know is they did not bow because that's not who they were. I believe that there are heroes in this room, that there are times, opportunities, you've had to bow and you haven't, that you've stood. And sometimes it'll cost you something. This is something else that happens in American Christianity. We think there needs to be immediate return. If I don't bow, the heavens open and chocolate candies fall out from the sky. Sometimes that's not what happens. In fact, I would say, just from experience, that, ha- that doesn't happen most of the time. We stand. So Nebuchadnezzar said, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I've set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. I've always wondered why he gave him another chance. I think part of the reason is because he likes them. They're, they're high up in his, his uh, kingdom. They're in positions of leadership. The same reason that it, it crushed him when Daniel was um, thrown in the lion's den. Oh, I don't want Daniel beaten. Be he really liked Daniel. Same way with these guys. I think he really liked him. But there seems to be more. Why Why does he get so mad in a minute, but he gives them a second chance? I don't have an answer for that, by the way. I was just wondering. So, I will give you one more chance, but if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. That's an interesting statement because that thought process is, is a loss on an American culture. We don't understand that thought process. I don't have to defend myself to you. What they're saying is, see, we think about it in a physical way. You're not the boss of me. You can't tell me what to do or how not to do it. We think about it on a physical level. In other words, we are, we are accountable physically to stuff. I, I, I've been in many jails and prisons over the years, going and pray with somebody, talk to somebody, and, and everybody gets saved in prison. But then when, when you're sitting there with them, they I, I've had this happen a few times where they say, um, well, I'm a Christian now, so pray that God will get me out of here. Well, here's something, though. You... you there's a time frame you're supposed to be in here. Just because you get saved doesn't mean that changes. Well, I caused myself all these problems. Now that I'm a Christian, shouldn't God fix all the problems? I've seen God fix some pretty amazing problems, but what he says is when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you become a new creation. You are brand new. All your your circumstances are not new. They're all the same circumstances. Still on the same planet. And sometimes you have to still be in the situation that you're in because you got yourself there. Now, that doesn't mean who you are in it has to be the same. You definitely are changed by the presence of God. But we have this mentality that, that there should be some kind of immediate return on something that I'm doing because I am not accountable on a physical level. And what these guys are saying is the exact opposite. They're saying physically you're about to throw us in the fiery furnace. You're the king. There's nothing we can do about that. Physically, we are accountable to you. But spiritually, we're not accountable to you. Spiritually, we belong to God. So we don't have to defend ourselves to you. You think we've done something wrong. This is who we are. We're not changing that. We're not defending ourselves to you. You got to do what you got to do. But we belong to God. See the difference in the thinking mentality there? Physically, sure, you can control me. That's the opposite of marriage. You can't control me. You can't tell. You know, I, I know I pick on this stuff all the time, but we'll, we'll pick it. The, the, you know, some, a graduation. The kids can't pray at a graduation. Some kid gets up and prays at the graduation, and every, everybody gets all mad and does all this stuff. We're upset. We're, you better let them pray at that graduation. That, that, to me, drives me crazy. Not because of that. That's all good. Let the kid pray at the graduation. I believe that. I believe that's their right, and I believe that, that socialism says you can't do that. A free country can't tell you not to do that. Socialism says. But here's the thing. Because the Christian world gets all up in arms about this. And this is what I always want to ask. Everybody's sitting in that stadium that's all mad because this kid can't pray. How many of you are praying at home? How many of you are praying with your kids? How many of you... How, do the parents of that kid pray with them? Probably a good chance they are that kid wouldn't be standing up doing that. But you understand what I'm saying? We get all over it. You are not... Let us not pray. You can't tell us. You're not the boss of us. When's the last time you prayed? Ought six. You know, I don't... There's somewhere... Somewhere, there needs to be some continuity, some consistency. Consistency. This is, this is the part that is, I think is so important for us, the consistency of this. My great-grandmother, she died at 103. She was very healthy at that 103, by the way. Um, she was a woman of prayer. She prayed, she prayed, she prayed. And one time, me and my brother went and stayed with her. And I remember laying in bed. We had gone to bed, and I'm laying in bed. And, and uh, she's in her room praying, just praying, praying for, seemed like forever. I was a little kid. I'm sure it was just an hour or two. But it seemed like she prayed all night long. One time, I, I got up to go to the bathroom, more to check on great-grandma. And, uh, and I look in there, and she's knelt down. She got this, this white gown thing on, and she's knelt at her, at her bed, and she's praying. This one was a, a woman of God. See, I believe those people... Are the heroes, the consistent, I'm going to serve God day after day. And I'm not going to falter. I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to be lazy. I'm going to serve God. Why? Not because he's going to give me something. Not because he's going to do. God doesn't have to do anything. The fact that he sent Jesus to die on the cross is more than he had to do. And he's already done more than he had to. So he doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't have to do anything for us. He does it because he likes us and because he wants to bless us. That's it. We don't deserve it. That's not why heroes serve Jesus. They serve Jesus because that's who they are. In fact, my great-grandmother, she went into a nursing home when she was, she's right around 100, I think, when she went into a nursing home, maybe late 90s. And the only reason she went into the nursing home is because her daughter, my grandmother's sister, um, needed to check into the nursing home, and she didn't want her to be alone, so she went with her to the nursing home. She was healthy she still they took her driver 's license away from her at ninety four years old because she was too old, and my dad went and helped her fight that because they didn 't have any physical reason they just said you 're too old. She passed the eye test, she passed the driving test, she passed the written test, and they said you 're too old. My dad went and fought it, and she got her driver 's license back you can 't tell her she can 't drive who cares with ninety four she passed her test then she can drive she's a better driver than my dad so so the, the, the idea that this consistency, this consistency, I'm going I'm to do and be what God has told me to. So Nebuchadnezzar, he gets really mad at this. One more chance. Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve, do you understand even the way they say that? If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, if God was going to deliver them, he could have delivered them before they got thrown in the furnace, right? They could have said, God is about to kill you, Nebuchadnezzar. Be careful, right? Well, isn't that a statement of faith? I think they have some pretty amazing faith, these three very young guys. I think they have amazing faith. They said, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. That is an amazing statement of faith. We didn't we did not bow down because we're trying to make a statement. We didn't bow down because we serve God, and God is bigger than you. And even if you try to destroy us, God will rescue us. And then, I've said this before, I think this is the greatest statement of faith in the entire Bible. The next sentence says, but even if he doesn't, see, they're not serving God because he's going to deliver them. You understand, we know the end of the story. We know that God delivers them. They didn't know the end of the story. They are the story. They thought they were about to get burnt up. And me personally, of all the different ways to die, I think burning would be about the worst. I've even thought about being stoned to death like in the Bible. I, I think I would choose stoning to death over burning to death. At least with stoning to death, you see a big one coming and you can put your head in front of it and hope you get taken out early. Right? Burning? You're being burned. And they said, but even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, We will never serve your gods. We will never worship your gods. Never. doesn't matter what you can do to us or are going to do to us. That has nothing to do with who we are in God. This world, this temporalness, this physical body, this limitedness right now is nothing in comparison to who you are, God, and how we're serving you. Majesty, you need to understand we're not bowing down to you under any circumstances. Well, this doesn't go well. The second part of this is that we need to stand for God, even if everyone else kneels. And this is where coming into—I I doubt many of you are going to be potentially thrown into a fiery furnace sometime this week, but you are going to have opportunities to kneel when you don't need to kneel in your heart, kneel in your mind when you need to stand. You're going to have those opportunities. Many of you have these opportunities regularly. You know what it is to make the decision, and that 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 you stand. And I believe the fact that you're sitting here right now is, is proof that, that most of us, if not all of us in here, are standing on a pretty regular basis, right? There has to be something that we're standing or you probably wouldn't be here. But I also know for myself too, that you have opportunities to kneel and it's so easy to kneel sometimes. It's so easy in, in a spiritual visual kind of way. It's so easy to reach for a piece of bacon when God wants you to reach for broccoli, or Brussels sprouts. Ah, I hate those things. Stand for God even when everyone else kneels. Dan- down to chapter 3, verse 22. And because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. Now, that seems like just a detail along the way, but I really appreciate that Nebuchadnezzar wanted to get it so hot it killed these guys. Not because I wanted these guys to die, I didn't know them, but because that 3,500 years later, I can sit and say, uh, that was pretty hot fire, that wasn't a fake fire, that wasn't a visual fire, that was a really hot fire. It destroyed the guys that got close to the outside of the door as they're throwing the three Hebrew children into the inside of the furnace. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement, and he exclaimed to his advisors, Didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men, unbound, walking around in the fire, unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. This is one of those things, I was sitting in a Sunday school class, like third or fourth grade, and they they were talking about nothing on them burned, their clothes didn't even smell like smoke, all the stuff that we see here. And I raised my hand, and I said to the teacher, But they were tied up. The ropes burned. You can see the teacher was like, that's a good point. You know how I know that? Because he said, they're unbound, which means they were bound when they put them in there. Three of them in there. And this is the cool part. I think there's a lot of cool, really good reasons here. But Why does Jesus show up into the middle of the fire? He didn't have to, you know. He could have just rescued them or delivered them, and he could have done this a lot of different ways. They didn't even have to get thrown in the fire. It could have been every time they got near the fire, the fire just went. They pull them back, you know. I mean, it could have happened a lot of different ways. But they actually get thrown into the fire, and then Jesus shows up into the fire. And I don't believe it's God the Father. I don't believe it's the Holy Spirit for very specific scriptural reasons. I believe it's Jesus. And Jesus is in that fire with them. Why? A few reasons. One is, Nebuchadnezzar sees it. There's no doubt what happened here. Now we, years later, we get to see it through Nebuchadnezzar's exclamation of this. That this happened, that Jesus is there. So some of the reason is Nebuchadnezzar, all the people standing around, all the people to come after. That's one of the reasons that Jesus shows up physically himself in the fire. But I think there's another reason too. He really liked Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He didn't want them to to be alone during this. This had to have been horrifying for them as they're being led down to this huge furnace. And as they get close, and I don't know if they felt the heat or not. I don't know how that works. But we know that the guys carrying them felt it to the point where it killed them. But you know they're going to be scared to death. Get down there and then all of a sudden Jesus steps in with them. I would like to have seen, that's one of those moments when you want to hear what actually happened. What, What does he say to them? I assume he has to start with, um, peace, be still, because he always says that when he shows up. But what about after that? What after, what, once, once he gets that off the table, what else does he say? I mean, this is an amazing moment. <clears throat> I have a couple suggestions. One, I think somewhere in there, he had to have said, guys, you've done good. You've stood strong. You've done well. There had to have been some of that in there. How do I know that? Or why do I think that? I don't know it, but why do I think that? Because that's what he says when we step into eternity. You did good. Well done. You've done well. And I think there's some of that mentality. Nebuchadnezzar sees him, sees Jesus standing there. And the high officers, governors, advisors crowded around. Not a hair on their heads was singed. Their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke, but the ropes were burned. I like to always throw that in there. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, and this is the point, this is the key. Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's the point. One of the reasons you serve God is because you have a relationship with Him, and this is this is how you're you're vetting this out, and you're doing what He's told you to do because it's personal, and there's an eternity involved with this. But but the tr- the, the twin rails of this train track mentality is, and you're also doing it because your kids will see it, because your coworkers will see it, because your your neighbors will see it, and they will somewhere somehow in the process and and. You, You're going to have to verbalize it too. But somewhere they're going to recognize that your God is bigger than anything in their life. Because of your consistency. Because of your follow through. Because of your obedience to God. They're going to see that God is pretty amazing. The third part of this is that Jesus will always stand with you. And I believe that. It may not look like what you want it to look like. It may not have all the accolades or all the the benefits that you think should come along with it. But Jesus will always stand there with you. You may not even know it a lot of times, but he will always stand there with you. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. You see, hear the consistency there, the more and the more. We will grow more and more. Who is the head of his body, the church. That I'm going to make a conscious decision. I'm going to serve you today, Lord. I'm going to serve you today. I'm going to serve you today. Day after day after day, I'm going to consistently serve you. And then a year, 5, 10, 20, 50 years later, your your life is truly a, a walking testimony and legacy of what God can do, because why it wasn 't because of the big moments it wasn 't the part of the sea and the Daniel and the lion 's den, and the three Hebrew children and Elijah fired those those are moments in time that come from consistency that come from this this uh, passion after God, passion after God day after day. Watch you stand with me. <clears throat> Bow your head with me, I want us to pray about a couple of things. The first thing is do you know? that Jesus is in charge of your life? Do you know that He's your Savior? Do you know that He's your God? We've got to start there. It has to start there. And I don't want to just assume or take for granted that, um, that we're all on the same page with that. But if you say, Jesus, I need you to be in charge of me, um, we want to pray with you. We're all going to pray together. We're not, we're not going to have you step out or come down front or anything like that. We're all going to pray together. But if you say, that that's me. I need Jesus as Lord over my life. I need Him in charge of me. God over my life, I'd like you to raise your hand real quick. Okay. All right. Okay. All right, any other hands? I don't, I don't want to rush through this, but I You get it. Okay. All right. So we want to pray about this first, and I'd like you to do the best you can to make this your prayer from your heart. But we're just going to ask Jesus to be in charge Of us, and we're all going to pray this together. I'm going to give you a prayer you can repeat with me, but, but, but make it yours. Um, Add to it. I mean, whatever. Make it your prayer. But let's let's pray this together. Lord God, I need you to be God over my life. Ask you to forgive me and wash me clean of anything I've ever done that's not pleasing to you. And I want to spend the rest of my life serving you, in Jesus' name, amen. God, thank you for your amazing grace, your wonderful presence, your forgiveness. Thank you for washing us. Lord, I, I, I pray that, that there's nobody in this room that's struggling with whether you can do that or, or just did that. Lord, wash us clean and let us know it, let us know it. Thank you for this. God, open our hearts up to truly think about what it means to be consistent, to stand for you under all circumstances. And Lord, if there's, if there's moments that are going through people's minds right now of when they have not stood, Lord, convict them, help them to, to get that right before you. Lord, but also show us moments when we have stood and that, that, you, that you are proud of that, that you were standing right there with us. God, we want to we be who you want us to be. God, we fight so much against who we want us to be. So, Lord, help us with that right now. Keep your head bowed. I'm gonna ask you this question. This, this is not a raise your hand kind of thing. This is to process this. But I do believe that the I do believe that more of you in here are heroes than you think you are. And I believe that you're doing what God has told you to do in way more ways than you give yourself credit. And and I also know that there's times when you're not. Um, own both of those. But to say, Lord, I really want to stand for you. And if there's something specific that you know is is wrong and needs to be changed, change that. Talk to Him right now about that and change that. But to say, Lord, I want to stand for you. I want my I want my family to see me standing for you. I want my neighborhood to see me standing for you. Not in a pride, look at me way, but is a but in a I want to glorify God. I want to stand, I want to stand and be who you've told me to be. Lord, you you open up our hearts with this. Lord, I, I know that you want to use us way more than we're being used. God, and I believe you want to open many, many more doors that are being opened. So God, help us to be who you've called us to be. Help us to be that person, that person you can trust, that you know when you need us, that we will be who you need us to be. We will pray with somebody, we'll witness to somebody, we will stand for the for the right and your word when maybe everybody else is not. God will be who you've told us to be. Lord, anoint us. Anoint us for this. Pour out your spirit into our hearts and our minds. God, and I pray that as a church body too, that we would we'd be a church body that will do what you've told us to do that we will stand we'll be consistent day after day after day we'll be consistent Lord I pray this for myself as a pastor as a, as a Christian as a parent as a husband Lord I ask you to help me to be consistent that I don't want I don't want you to look bad because of something that I've done Lord I want to be consistent in the name of Jesus thank you for this. Lord, fill us with your presence. Help us to be that. Jesus, amen. Before